Good evening. You know, I can appreciate someone who runs a marathon. I can appreciate the fact that someone trains diligently to run 26 miles. I appreciate the effort that is put in, both in the training and running the actual race. I can stand at the finish line and appreciate the joy and elation that is felt when someone crosses, even if they don't win, the fact that they accomplish something that very few people accomplish. I can appreciate that. Doesn't mean I want to run a marathon. There's a difference, right? There's a difference in appreciating someone who runs a marathon and the training and the effort put forth and actually running a marathon yourself. Many folks read the Bible with appreciation, but not so much application. They study the Word of God. They agree with the Word of God. Some even memorize large portions of the Word of God, but they stop short when it comes to application of the Word of God. Not understanding that observation leads to application, and application is really the goal, not just observing and interpreting, but applying it to our lives. Observation and interpretation mean nothing if they don't lead to an application of the text. As we've said before, the main question is, so what? After we've studied, after we've laid a foundation, after we've interpreted, what does it mean to take this and apply it to my life? Ultimately, we are to seek to apply what God is saying. And like running a marathon, that's a whole lot easier said than done. But when you read, for instance, about Moses being the humblest person on the face of the earth, do you say, oh, that Moses, yeah, what a humble guy. Or do you say, no, I want to be like that. I want to be as humble as this man Moses. When we read about Jeremiah having this fire in his bones that he could not keep quiet, even though bringing God's message brought him so much turmoil, do we say, oh yeah, that Jeremiah, he was a great prophet? Or do we say, no, I I want to be like Jeremiah in that I want to have this, this message inside of me pent up that it has to come out and I have to bring the message of God forth because it means that much to me. We read Jesus' words about turning the other cheek. Do we say, yeah, that, that Jesus sure went above and beyond. He was special. Or do we say, no, I want to be like him. And if that means turning the other cheek, then that's what I got to do. What is it that we're after? Is it application or appreciation? You know, much of this comes down to how we read Scripture. And oftentimes we approach the Bible deductively. We ask the question, what does the Bible say about And then you just fill in the blank with whatever the topic is. And so we go to Scripture and we try to find the answer to what what it is we're looking for. And we go to the concordance and we look up all the, the major words that apply to whatever it is we're looking for. And then we try to twist and contort even whatever verses we can find to fit our agenda or to answer the question that we're asking You know, many times we have to rip things out of their context in order to get the uniform answer that we're after. But the goal of deductive Bible study is to find an answer to the question that's coming from our own minds. And the problem with this approach is that we're beginning with an assumption. We're beginning with the assumption that the Bible is even answering the question that I'm asking. And many times it's not. Now, Deductive Bible study is not a horrible approach, not always, but it's not the best approach. We need to be studying Scripture inductively. With the inductive approach, we let the Bible speak. 
We let Scripture inform us. An inductive Bible study has four major parts, and we've talked about this ad nauseum to this point. You have the observation point, which is laying the foundation. You have the interpretation point, which is building the proper structure. You have application, which is living in harmony with God's will. And you have meditation, praying and reflecting on what God would have me to do and be. The questions that are asked in inductive Bible study are these. Who is speaking? Who is listening? What is the main message of the author? Why is he delivering this message? And what does it mean? Not only, does what is, not only what does it mean interpretively, but what does it mean for me in application? Now, all too often, we're, we're quick to jump to application. I don't want to put too much emphasis on application, although that is the goal. We can't get there too quickly. Sometimes we behave as if Scripture was written directly to us. And you've heard me say enough that the Bible was not written to you. It was written for you, but there was an original audience, and you're not it. The Bible contains specific instructions to specific people about specific things, and therefore we mustn't assume that every verse is just as applicable today as it was some thousands of years ago. Now, that doesn't mean that Scripture holds no value. I personally believe that all Scripture holds value for us. I just believe that we need to do our due diligence to find out who the original audience was and what's the context before we go applying it to our lives. Now, that brings me to a couple of more terms, exegesis and asegesis. Now, exegesis simply means to draw out. It is the process of dissecting a text to determine the original meaning, intent, and purpose. Asegesis is the process of interpreting a text in such a way so as to introduce one's own presuppositions and biases and agendas. It's reading into Scripture what the person wants to hear rather than going to Scripture to find out what God is saying. An example of this would be the late musician Bob Marley who believed that God smoked pot, and he even had a scripture to back it up. Psalm 18 and 8, smoke went up out of his nostrils and fire from his mouth devoured, coals were kindled by it. You want to talk about customizing the word of God to fit one's personal taste or agendas? That is it right there. That's asegesis. And obviously, it's a horrible way to interpret scripture, but it's sadly a popular means for interpreting scripture. Exegesis gets to the heart of what the Scripture means. Not just for us, we start with what it meant for the original hearers. In order to make proper application, we have to understand what it meant for the person who wrote it and for the people who heard it first. Because here's the deal, a verse or a piece of Scripture cannot mean today what it never was intended to mean in the first place. So, last week we talked about hermeneutics. Any hermeneutic worth its salt must use proper exegesis. That must be the foundation. And exegesis is concerned with five W's. You could probably guess what they are before they even come up on the screen. Who, what, when, where, and why. Exegesis seeks to answer the following questions. Who wrote it? Who was reading it? What was their understanding of it? Why is it included in the Bible? And what is the historical literary context? That's a brief overview of exegesis and asegesis. I don't intend for this to be an academic lecture, but I did want to point out those two uh, uh, things because I think it's important when it comes to interpreting and applying, 
that we understand the difference between those two. Here's something else that's very important in our study of Scripture, and that is this. The Bible doesn't answer all our questions. It just doesn't. You know, as I've said, we tend to study the Bible deductively. We come to Scripture with a question, and much of the time, the question we're asking is not a question that they were asking or answering. And please hear me when I say that deductive Bible study is not always bad. We just have to be prepared to say that Scripture doesn't answer my question. And sometimes that presents a difficulty because now we have to use our own discernment. Maybe we have to look at other principles in Scripture to come up with an answer. But we may not find a direct answer to the question that we are coming to Scripture with. I've heard Christians say, all answers are contained within this book. All the answers are contained right here in the Bible. And that's just not true. I think all the important answers are here. But there's not an answer to every single question. And we have to be okay with that especially when it comes to our deductive study of the Bible. Paul stated to Timothy, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Paul doesn't say that scripture answers every question. He says that scripture is sufficient for equipping us for a life of holiness and living out the faithful covenant that we have made with God. It's not sufficient to answer all your trivial queries. And Christians aren't always okay with that. I see it over and over again, people pressing the issue until they contort scripture to fit their answer because they want so badly for the Bible to give them what they're looking for. Look, we must be okay with the fact that the Bible may not answer our direct question. The Bible's not an encyclopedia. We need to quit reading it like it's a reference book. It's a story. It's a story that addresses specific topics and specific questions at a specific time. That doesn't mean that there's no relevance for us in this day and age. There absolutely is plenty of relevance. Uh, relevance, but we must approach it correctly in order to get the optimal benefit. Here lately, I've been reading through the Pentateuch, which is, of course, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And these books are quite tough. If you've read through them, you know that they can be pretty tedious, that there's a lot of uh, meticulous laws and, and commands, but yet there are still things that God doesn't address, right? It still doesn't cover everything. You can read through Leviticus and Deuteronomy and you can see a lot, a lot of laws and, and commands. And you think, wow, I mean, this is pretty thorough, but it still doesn't include everything, right? If God had to write everything down, he'd still be writing today. For too long, Christians have treated the Bible like a rule book, like Siri, like an encyclopedia, like a devotional book or a proof text, when it's really a continuous story. This is a narrative in which the climax is found in Jesus Christ. God chose a people to be the light of the nations. Those people, the Israelites, failed in that endeavor, and Jesus came to succeed where Israel failed. And Jesus grafts us into that story. We are a part of this larger narrative because of the blood of the Messiah. We have hope and we have a future. What was lost in Eden is restored. This story of redemption ends with God's people dwelling with him for all eternity in the promised land that is heaven. That's how we should be reading the Bible. It's not a reference book. It's a beautiful story of a loving God who restores and redeems 
what has been lost and broken. Now, I think a final suggestion that I would like to make is this, to pray biblically. What does that mean? Well, I would suggest when you study the Bible, pray at the same time. You ever done that? You ever prayed and studied the Bible at the same time? You know, we talk about the four keys to Bible study. We mainly focus on observation, interpretation, and application, but I would include meditation as well. Meditation includes prayer. How many of you, when you study the Bible, you stop intermittently so that you can pray, study and pray? When was the last time you prayed for God to give you better discernment, better understanding? You know, it really makes perfect sense to combine the two. I mean, if the Bible is God's Word speaking to us and prayer is us speaking to God, then what better way to communicate, right, than to read and then to pray back to God. Paul wrote this, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend what all the saints, what is the the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Pray for comprehension. Pray that you might be able to understand and apply God's will. Paul prayed constantly for things such as these. You might remember in Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 9, it reads, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. You see, we tend to be too narrow in our prayer life. If we want to be more biblical about prayer, then we need to pray for comprehension of spiritual truths. We we need to pray like the psalmist who said, Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. You see, prayer at church typically focuses on our worship, our members who are sick, and the cross. Absolutely nothing wrong with that. In fact, our prayers should include that. At home, prayer typically focuses on our personal needs, our concerns, and blessing the food. And once again, that's not bad either. But add to your prayer life meditation and prayer that stems from a reading through Scripture. You take Psalm 23, for instance. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Pause and pray. Thank God for being your shepherd. Thank God that He is your shepherd, that He provides, that He leads you. That might lead you to praying for those who don't have a shepherd, praying for the lost. Maybe that leads you to praying for our shepherds right here at Oldham Lane and for the difficult work that they have at times leading this flock. If you read through the Psalms, you'll notice how many times a verse ends with this word, Selah. Selah. Look at Psalm 46, for example. Read with me in verses 1 through 3. It says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear... Though the earth should change, and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake and its swelling pride, Selah. There's that word again. You know what Selah means? It means pause. It means take a time out. Before you go any further with your reading, stop and ponder this. Consider what you just read. Don't just glance over it. Don't just scan through it. Stop and really concentrate on what is being stated, let it sink in, 
pray about it. I think when you pray through the Bible, you'll start praying the Bible. What you read affects your prayer life. It changes the method and the tone of your prayers. You know, the first Christians prayed the Bible. Have you ever noticed that? Look with me at Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 23. It says, When they had been released, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priest and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they lifted their voices to God with one accord and said, O Lord, it is you who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in, it, is in them, who by the Holy Spirit, through the mouth of our father David, your servant said, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples devise futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. Do you quote scripture when you pray? We actually see this quite often when we read through the Bible. People quoting scripture as they prayed to the one who gave them the scriptures. Isn't that interesting? Praying scripture back to God helps us to focus it glorifies God, and it demonstrates that the words of our Father are living in us and that they are affecting us. Again, our prayers tend to turn into a list of requests that primarily consist of issues such as sickness or money or stress, and I'm not in any way trying to discredit those kind of prayers because certainly they are important, and we should be praying that way. However, it's easy to allow these kind of things to dominate our prayer life. It's easy to get too narrowly focused and not think past just our own issues and concerns. Prayer is about much more than just asking God for stuff. It's not less than that, but it's more than that. Praying Scripture and praying as we study Scripture helps us to internalize the words of our Lord as well as focus on other important matters that are outside of ourselves. Do you realize just how incredibly blessed we are? You know, I preach from an iPad. I've got an iPad here that's got, I don't know how many apps on it that, uh, that allow me to read the Bible. I mean, I can find the Bible in digital form in just about every translation. I've got an ESV journaling Bible on my iPad. I can take out my pencil and I can write on it. I mean, it's amazing what we have at our fingertips. We have no shortage of Bibles and biblical information out there, right? We are beyond blessed when it comes to the resources we need to study Scripture. Are we more blessed than those in the first century and even before, those who had the Old Testament scriptures, are, are we more blessed than they are? I mean, you think about having to, having to memorize scripture because there weren't thousands and thousands of copies or millions of copies. Think about sitting together as a family and reading the scriptures. Think about sitting together as a church family at worship and, and having someone read Paul's letter to you. You think about how often we take things for granted because it's so readily accessible. But we are reading what they read. I mean, let that sink in. We are reading what they read and, and what they wrote as well, right? But we are reading what they read and just like them, we find ourselves in the story. But none of that matters if we don't read it properly and if we don't apply it properly to our lives. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for your word. 
we thank you that you chose to communicate through us or to us. And we thank you so much that we have the opportunity to communicate with you. God, help us to be better Bible students. Help us to better discern your will. Help us to be better at interpreting and applying your word to our lives. May we humbly be troubled by what you have have written, and may we take it, may we live by it, so as to be pleasing to you. God, we love you. We thank you for this church family. We thank you for another day that we have gotten to gather, and even tonight, for the, the ability to gather around a TV or device so that we can so that we can be together again virtually, if not in person. God, we love you. We pray for an end to this pandemic soon. We pray that we can get back to our normal functioning as a church family very soon. But we also thank you for the access we have to you and your word. It's in your son's precious name we pray. Amen.